Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. It is a pleasure to be back with you after a brief two-week hiatus. I'm your host, James, and I could not be more excited to dive back into the beautiful game with you all. And oh boy, oh boy, I could not be diving into a more exhilarating episode that we have in store for you today. The, pure, the Premier League never fails to deliver, and it's fair to share. It's fair to say that it did not disappoint this weekend. We got our fair share of surprises, drama, controversies, and this weekend was absolutely no exception. From the shocker at Malinu to where the Wolves pull off a stunning upset against the favorites, Man City, and defending champions. Uh, to head uh, to the headline-grabbing victory of Crystal Palace over Manchester United at the hollowed grounds of Old Trafford. But folks, that's not all. Hold on to your seats as we discuss, as like everyone has, the controversial officiating and VAR decision in North London, the shit town, uh, the shit stadium, rather, that has Sean's blood pressure higher than a diabetic on Free Whopper Day. <laughs> wow. So... I did see Sean first in the the uh, the studio, and he is still as pale as a ghost from his death on on uh, on Saturday. So, but I'm glad to see you're you know somewhat of a skeleton to to be here with us today. It's been a whirlwind of a weekend, and we've got all the anal- uh, analytics, insights, opinions that you crave about for these matchups. So sit back, relax, and let's just embark on another thrilling journey through the Premier League as we step back into the EPL state of mind. So thank you, boys, for covering the last two weekends. I have returned to the States. I have recovered from the Black Plague. And I just want to say thank you guys for really pulling together two great shows while I was away. But, <laughs> excuse me, that's the Black Lung <laughs> still acting up. But I could not be more <laughs> excited to finally get some some more vocals in here with you guys today. So thank you, boys. How are we feeling today? Sean, how are you feeling, brother? Yeah, uh, I'm going to plead the fifth. Kyle, I know the Giants are playing tonight, so you might be a little bit happy, but how are you after this weekend? I know you and Sean are almost in the same boat here. Yeah, great to have you back, James. Um, Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I too, will plead the fifth on this one. This, yeah. Well, if you guys, if you guys want to take a break this week, I have a lot of Arsenal stuff that I still have not covered yet, so I'm I'm more than willing to take a. Oh, so how was the, the week? Oh, you know, it was a solid week. Lots to talk about. That isn't Arsenal. <laughs> um, you know, tough, tough matchup, tough matchup for Man City. I mean, you knew going in, the Wolves are no joke, never a joke. But uh, yeah, I mean, some good, some good fixtures. I mean, <laughs> I mean, some of the best fixtures we've had it. yet. It, it's been such a great weekend that here at the EPL State of Mind, we normally start off with some hot news. There's just not enough time to do it this week with all these coverages. So we're going to get right into the thick of things, and we're going to get right into the weekend recap, which for me is great. For you guys, not so much. We won't really talk about Arsenal too much, but I'll sneak a couple in there because, I, as I've been saying, they have not gotten the love here enough. But we are going to start off with a team that I might have given a little bit too much love to, they were my ghost lock of the week since I was not here. And it's the Toffees. They were coming off of two back-to-back wins. Calvin Lewin looked fantastic. I actually was going to peep in there and say, hey, he's going to get one. I almost said, Kyle, you're the king of parlays. Make mine a parlay. Goodison Park, Everton win, uh, DCL, goal. And I wish I did because at least would have been maybe partially right. But nope. We have the Hatters winning 2-1 at Everton at Goodison Park. So they lose again at home, which is becoming quite 
a bit of a unwelcoming trend for them, which is kind of what we've hung our hats on for the past season and a half, that that's their bread and butter. That's their one thing that will make them happy in life is that Goodison Park will get them W's. Unfortunately, it's another one. It's their first ever loss to the Hatters, obviously. And Everton now lost all four games at the park this year, which is gigantic. That's actually crazy. I didn't realize they lost all four. But I know, Sean, you you watched this game a bit. You like the Hatters now. What 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 are what are our takeaways here, man? For sure. I mean, you gotta be happy for them. Other than obviously if you're not a if you're an Everton fan, you don't feel that way. But they played Really, really well. They scored early on a corner or kind of a goal mouth scramble off a corner by their captain, Tom Lockyer. And then the second goal, if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend looking it up. Beautiful volleyball in from the left-hand side. Carlton Morris, who was their leading scorer last year, he's already got three this season. Sweet as a nut volley into the corner. And uh, after that, Luton just hung on. Seriously, I mean, the whole second half was an onslaught from Everton, but um, other than a goal right before halftime from DCL, they just couldn't break down uh, Luton's defense. So congratulations to the Hatters. Back-to-back -back, uh, games where they get a result and their first ever win in the Premier League. So a huge result for them. And, um, you know, maybe, they, maybe they're a little bit better than, than people are giving them credit for or have given them credit for. They had a rough start. I mean, I definitely want to say they are trending in the proper direction. Out of all three of the recently promoted teams, they're the only ones with a W now, right? And they went from getting their first point the previous weekend to getting three points this weekend. So it, it looks like out of all of them, which was not my bet, I had Burnley being in a better position at this point. It looks promising. Now, I, I am noticing, and Sean, correct me if I'm wrong here, that we had a early substitution for Everton with Decore, and I'm not sure if that was due to injury or not. Do you know if that was from an injury? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. He's, I think I, I don't know the severity of it right now, but uh, he did get taken off early due to injury. Yeah, which for arguably Everton's best player of the season so far is a bit of a concern that I would definitely keep an eye out if I'm a Toffee fan. So we'll see. They get Calvin Lewin back, but they lose Decore, which, which could be not a great trade-off. Going into the next big game of the weekend that we're highlighting here that I think everyone except for Man City fans, I think everyone for at least 70 to 45 minutes of this game all became Wanderers themselves and were screaming on top of the hills for the Wolves to pull something out here. And this is the 2-1 victory for Wolves home at Malinu. And... You guys said it in your podcast last weekend that there was probably going to be an upset that you guys overlooked in the look ahead, and this was it, fully delivered. I mean, I can't say enough about this. I was watching it on my phone as I was watching the Arsenal game, and the Wolves looked so hungry. They looked a lot like the team, maybe it's just because of Manchester, they looked like the team that they went up against Man United. They looked very pacey. They looked like they really wanted the goal. They were very hungry. The wingers were doing a fantastic job. I mean... On the other side of the coin, Kyle and, and Sean, correct me wrong, but it, to me, it looked like the Wolves kind of took it to Man City and Man City didn't have the urgency that they needed in order to really get through to the end there. Obviously, we have a few things to highlight here. Kyle, if you want to touch upon those. Yeah, what game were you watching? Tough. I was watching the, the Wolves. You were watching the game where Man City outshot them 23-3? to three? Yeah. But and the, you say the, that the Wolves brought it to Man City with three yeah. shots? 
There's a difference and between shooting the ball possession. and urgency. Mancy was doing there around the back, kind of possess it. You have to be patient with it when you're down. I understand that. But there's you can also feel an aura to a team when they're either down Dude. or they're winning. Dude, the, and, Wolves, and the Wolves went into it. the half one nothing up with no shots. Yeah. Come on. That's not urgent. That not being said, Wolves. I mean, it's the second game. I mean, think about the game you guys just talked about, Luton versus Everton. Everton had 23 shots as well, and they lost the game. Yeah, you know, it, it. This is becoming a how clinical can you finish? And if you if you watch the game, the Wolves, you know, they had three shots, one on target. But guess what? That shot on target was clinical. That hit the back of the net, which yeah. eight shots on target, one goal, and the goal City scored was from a free kick. It's not even open play. So you know what? Wolves parked the bus. They went the Jose Mourinho route, and it paid dividends for them. They still, but, even, I mean, they, just they still got up the up the pitch though, man. That was the urgency that they had, man. Yeah, man. But um, the one thing I wanted to say about Luton is they should be worried because they might have won that game, but they had 275 passes in the game at 53% pass accuracy. I don't know if I've seen pass accuracy in the 50% for an entire game in the Premier League in years. They yeah, completed less than 150 successful passes that game in a 90-minute span and won. That is that's that's grounds for concern. I'm sorry, it's, but if you're not playing a team like Everton, you can't win games like that. I think the the main catalyst for that was really just late on when they were just trying to ha- like hold on to the lead. They were basically just ho- hoofing the ball up the pitch the whole last half hour of the game. So I think th- those numbers are a little bit off base, but I do you know your point's well taken. Um, I just think that it was more so the context of the game than anything else. Um, but going back to Wolves, and I appreciate you trying to, you know, steer the direction away from your team's <laughs> loss, but deflect, that's not going to fucking deflect. fly. Uh, Pedro Neto, Pedro yeah. Neto, again, we talked about him when they played Liverpool a few weeks ago. He is unreal right now. Like he just absolutely ripped Nathan Ake a new bum hole in this game. Um, the first goal is is him dancing past Foden, bursting past Ake, getting a ball whipped in across that that Diaz puts into his own net, um, and and he caused a lot of problems after that. I mean, obviously you mentioned it, Kyle. Wolves definitely parked the bus, but pretty much all of their danger came down that right wing with with Neto and the ball at his feet. Um, and obviously, got to mention Julian Alvarez's goal in this game. The free kick was stunning. Yeah, bins, that was baby, gorgeous. top bins. <laughs> absolutely wild yeah i would also like to say that um you know the wolves attacking with Neto is is great and all but you're you're seeing the hits of no john or stones no rodri no de bruyne like you are visibly starting to see that on the field and a game against someone like the wolves if you're seeing it there it, it doesn't bode well when you walk into the emirates next week against yeah, there's a, a little top blood in the water. tier team you know, like if, if you're struggling to hold your own against the Wolves, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they were in what, like 16th, something like that. Yeah, they were like so in like, relegation zone. Yeah, we're talking about a title contender next week or this coming yeah. week. This is a listen, if you're going to be missing those three, you got to do some work. You got to play around. And like we've said how many times in the pod, there's no guessing what Pep Guardiola will send out against Arsenal until 40 minutes before the game when he announces his lineup. Yeah, there's just might no even... way of knowing. Might even sit Holland because I didn't even see him on the pitch during the Wolves game. I actually yeah, think he's he had, been, he he's had been the fewest touches quiet. out of any player in the outfield in 90 minutes. He had 15 touches on the ball. And that's the sense of urgency I want. If, if he's the guy and you are down and he's the one that's going to put balls in the back of the net, 
he's got to be screaming for that thing, man. I didn't see him. I don't know who he is anymore. He's just, he's just let's just sit him. I agree. Let's just sit him he's, next he's waiting for the, uh, he's starting to wait for the ball. Whereas, you know, last season we had, we had games where Holland had 12 touches, but three of those hit the back of the net. Yeah. Because he's hungry. He's in the right spot. He's got the vision. He's got his left arm out asking for the ball in front of his foot. You know, it's, it's something we're not seeing now. Now he's just staying with the back defender waiting for that pass. And well, he, the people like Rodri and De Bruyne hurt. Yeah. There's not too many that are going to make that perfect pass to him. Yeah. He's he, got to he, get hungry. He's got to fall back a little bit. He's got to get aggressive. 100% right. He, he doesn't have KDB or Gundogan anymore, who was the equivalent, essentially, for someone who has that vision to pr- provide that ball on a pl- platter. Sean, what are your takeaways on this game, man? I, th- I think you hit a lot of it on the head. The last one I just wanted to mention uh, – was the the game winner actually by Hwang Hee Chan, his fourth goal of the season. The uh, South Koreans are running rampant. The South Korean left wingers, I should be more specific, yeah. uh, so far this year. But really, a heady and, and unselfish play from Mateus Cunha on that goal. Um, it was a shot by Hwang Hee Chan, got blocked, and it just scored it out to him. Instead of, I think, 85% of, no, probably 95% probably of guys just swivel around and try to hit it. Instead, he lays it off to Huang Hee Chan, who basically has a tap in because Ederson and the other, whoever the defensive center back was just couldn't come over. So really smart play and, and a huge win for Wolves. So, you know, congratulations to them on the big win. And uh, speaking of big wins, let's take a look at, at Aston Villa versus Brighton. Because, oh, huge. Oof. Huge win. It was an early time slot. I was not able to make it up for the first half, but I did catch most of the second half. At that point, it was already 3 nothing to Villa. Uh, Brighton did open up the second half pretty immediately with a relatively nice goal uh, from Ansu Fati, who we saw really for the first time since his move from Barcelona. So other than the EFL Cup. So really nice to see him. He looked very good out there. I think Ansu Fati was one of the best pickups that they really could have done. But obviously, we're not here, unfortunately, this time to talk about Brighton. We're here to talk about Unai Emery's uh, Villa. And the team that we kind of anticipated would look like this at the beginning of the season, who came off to a hot start, then I'm sorry, a slow start being, you know, thrashed by Newcastle United, but finding a bit of form. And part of this big win was from Ollie Watkins, a player that you definitely adored last season towards uh, the second half of the season, Sean, he got it. He got a hat trick. So he's, he's in pure form right now. And, you know, Villa's rolling on despite being outpossessed 63 to 37 in the game from Brighton, who arguably didn't look horrible, but anytime Villa had the ball, they capitalized. Then, yep. you know, Brighton would come back and Villa has a very solid defensive line and it's Unai Emery's kind of style to play defensive and Brighton struggled to penetrate that kind of low block that they had. But, um, you know, what, what else you got here, Sean? I No, I think you hit a lot of it. Um, the one thing I just wanted to mention, because yes, obviously Villa was outpossessed in this game, but they still outshot Brighton in this game, nine to three in terms of shots on target and 20 to 11 in terms of shots in total. So as you mentioned, and I think you made a great point there, um, their counterattacking was lethal. Yeah, they didn't have the ball a lot, but every time they had it, they were dangerous, uh, specifically down that right side. Uh, Matty Cash and uh, Musa Diaby both with an assist in this game and, and caused a lot of problems. And yeah, uh, we talked about Ollie Watkins a lot last year because he just kept putting goals in the back of the net and um, very clinical from from him. You know, he's got a couple couple of deflected goals in this one, which, you know, obviously was fortunate. Um, but a 
but a big win for Villa against a team that they'll be competing with in the table, you know, come the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you mentioned that right side, just looking at the stats from the game cash hat, like you said, had an assist, even McGinn who plays on that right side had an assist. Diaby had an assist and then, you know, walk into, I think maybe played the ball from that side, had an, had an assist and, and his hat trick. So really, really impressive showing by, by the count and his team. Kyle, what are, what are your big takeaways from this for for Brighton's health check? I mean, they got a, a huge game coming up. We'll talk about well, it later on. I mean, where's your mental? Fati, Fati, Fati. That is the bright spot right there. How many guys have we seen come into the Premier League having not played in the Premier League in the last year and just collapsed? I mean, thinking off just top of your head, you got Mudric, Anthony, Nunez, Jao Felix. I mean, I would say Casemiro, but he's actually performing phenomenally for Man U. But like it, this league proves time and time again that you cannot just assume you're going to do well if you did well in other leagues when you come in for a huge price point. Yeah. But uh, you're talking about a guy that's 5'10". He's not winning the height battle by any means. He's got to do it with his feet. <laughs> so he's, man, if he's getting their goals, if he's the one performing, that is a massive bright spot. And once again, it's just Brighton doing fucking great business, guys. I mean, yeah. It, it is what it is. He, they probably got him on the low. They'll probably sell him on the high by the end of the season and bring in someone else. Ansu Fati, he, he did play 45 minutes. He was nine for nine with his passes. So 100% passing accuracy. His shot accuracy was one for one because he had a goal and he had a total of four shots. Three of them got blocked, but really a, a, a bright spot in someone who's 20 years old from Spain. Well, yep, Sean, I agree fully. Uh, I just think we got to mention that Brighton look a little bit sluggish as a team overall, though. And I think, um, you know, they're feeling the effects of playing multiple times a season or multiple times a week, excuse me, already. Um, and that's not going to get any easier because they have a trip to the south of France hanging out in your old stomping grounds from a couple of weeks back. Um, they're taking on Marseille in the Europa League Thursday night. Um, and then they got to go back back home and they have a game um, early on Sunday. So. Uh, we'll see if their depth can, can sustain, you know, where they were at in the league last year. But um, right now it's not looking good for them. They're losing a lot more games than they did last season. And they just um, are still trying to figure it out from, I, I guess, a depth standpoint. We, we said a lot of these teams like Villa as well, they're going to have to, they're going to have to try to keep up with these larger, deeper squads with this midweek. So that's a great point. Hopefully Brighton and Deserby will be able to do it. Um, and hopefully sometime soon we hear some someone denounce maybe the possible rumors of Ancelotti's departure from Real Madrid and how Deserbi is looking like a really good replacement over there for Real Madrid. So hopefully he stays in in the in the pond over here. But we yeah, there's will, a lot we'll, of rumors for managers right now going around. Yeah. You know, it's it's that time of season. Nothing's set in stone until it's done. You yeah, know, of course. Facts. Of course. Yep. Well, going on to another Manchester team, we, we talked about very, very briefly. We had a rematch of the Carabao Cup uh, leg or performance from Manchester United and Crystal Palace over the weekend, essentially the same exact fixture. Um, and Crystal Palace lost the first one against a, a relatively interesting Manchester United side in the EFL Cup. Uh, we did see Arablot, his first excursion Ooh. out with... We, we were missing Welcome it. back, James. Welcome yeah. back. There it is. Oh, um, let me look at it. Amrabat. Amrabat. Let's see Sofian here. Amrabat. Yeah, that makes more sense when you look at it. Amrabat. <laughs> Amrabat. Amrabat. Oh, yeah. Left back. 
Yeah, which well, which is not his position. Morocco, for, uh, no, for people that don't know that, but they have no left backs right now. They are without Luke Shaw for the long term. Tyrell Molassi is banged up, and there's somebody else that I'm missing that usually plays left. Oh, uh, Regulon. And oh, all of them are should, injured. Uh, right you know who they should go for is that Saliba guy. Apparently, he's the best in the world. He's the best well, center played, back in the world. Yeah. I well, mean, he, if you're the best center back in the world, you should be able to go right to left back, no problem. No, 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 no. Let's not. No let's not. No yeah, let's just, you know, let's but, just make sure we're we're getting his name right and put some respect on the center back. But continue, Sean, please. <laughs> so, anyways, I mean, Kyle, you said it last week. You said that if United's going to keep pace with the top four and even, you know, pretend like they're going to enter this title race, which they have no hope of and no chance in, to begin with, but that's another story. Uh, they need to take nine points in in their next three games. Um, and this was the first one, and they didn't get it done. Um, to be honest, they really didn't create a ton of chances. There was a couple of moments here or there, but it just seems like they were missing that final ball, really. Um, not a not the best game for Marcus Rashford. There's a lot of times where he's trying to dribble past guys two on one, and it's like, dude, just move the ball. And it's not his fault. It's not, you know, obviously teams are going to double up on him because they don't have to worry about. Um, too much overlapping on his side with, you know, Amrabat, who's a, a holding midfielder playing left back. Um, but just a, a pretty overall weak performance from from Man United, I would say. Um, the only goal of the game was scored off one of the best finishes of the weekend. If you guys haven't seen this, it's a ball in from my boy, Eberechieze, and then Joachim Anderson just absolutely rips it through the laces on the half volley. No chance for Onana, back of the net. And uh, it makes Roy Hodgson the first manager to ever go unbeaten for five consecutive games at Old Trafford, which is a hell of a feat, especially for a club that's, you know, not necessarily known for uh, being at the top of the table. So congratulations to Crystal Palace and, and Hodgson on a big win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're Man U, um, Kyle, you said it before, Sean, you said it before, you're in a little bit of a, a frenzy right now. So this upcoming game is, is gigantic. Don't, but we'll get into that. Be. Yeah, we'll, get, find it, we'll get into that soon. Well, maybe maybe they just need another World Cup to happen so that Rashford can actually show up to the pitch again. That'd be cool. That'd be pretty cool. But I mean, anyway. it's almost time to start bringing in the Onana debate. He is not performing for that, for that club. I mean, he, 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 he had no two, chance he's off on of this. Two goal. clean sheets in a row. He had no chance. He had no oh, shot. Sure. No but, chance. I mean, in the last goal. three weeks, how many chances has he not only missed but blown? No, no, that's fair. I'm just saying, if we're talking about this specific game, though, you can't hold that's him. That's fair, yeah. yeah. I'll yeah. Give he, that. he I, I'm just not a fan of best. people that yeah. celebrate off the field. Like, oh, no, no. And we said it last season, too, the, the, whole, the whole possession idea. I just want to bring up this real quick. In the second half, Man United had 82% possession. 82% possession, which is crazy. Overall, they had 77%. So, Crystal Palace dug in, man. They were... They went up, what, in the 25th minute? I think most of the goals this weekend on Saturday happened right around the 25th minute mark, which was kind of crazy. I remember seeing that all pop up. But Are we starting to see a, a new trend in the Premier League? Where to bet 25th you know, minute coming, I, I feel like now, just this weekend alone, how many games did we watch where the second half consisted of one team on all-out offense and one team parking the bus fighting to survive and hold on to their one goal win? It depends like, on. The I team. feel like four yeah. out of the four games I watched this weekend were just it just boring, boring, well, boring, I, boring like that. I mean, listen, man, you're a Man City fan. Instead of you guys being the on the offense, you just kick the, the air out of the ball for 45 minutes when you're up in the second half. So 
let's I mean I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna go ahead and say city games are fun to watch I just enjoy their results all right yeah but there was a lot a lot of a lot of parking the bus done this weekend by teams trying to and it worked though point. it did let me tell you how boring Man City games though are I'm not good at betting but I think I've found a little niche I have now started betting what is going to happen in the next minute of a game on Man City games and I've been betting it's plus 215 odds almost every time I've been betting for X-Men, you can pick any minute in the game, for nothing to happen. Meaning no throw-ins, no goal kicks, no no whistles, no nothing, because Man City just passes the ball on the pitch. It's it's doing so, me pretty well. So so you're saying your next lock of the week is going to be like the 58th minute of the City game, nothing to happen. Lock it in. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, like five minutes after the first half starts or the second half starts, Man City just has possession. So no, that's not, when not Alvarez gets his goal. Not a bad shout. Not a bad shout. Yeah. But – um. To save most of our vocals for this next part, that includes oh, probably boy. a lot of shouting. It is <clears throat> the highlight of this episode. It is what we all came to see. This is why I injected myself with steroids over the weekend to make sure I was present on this podcast. Is to hear about the Liverpool Tottenham Hotspurs game. 2-1 to the Spurs, the shitty, shitty Spurs. And I don't <laughs> think I have ever received so many text messages from Sean that I could just feel the heat coming from his Irish forehead. I mean, it was exuding (laughs) through the phone. And I'm so excited to talk about this. And why don't we start off? I have five points that I want to talk about. But how do you want to talk about, Sean? Do you want to start rattling off and then we get into my points and then we we go on non-biased? Or you want to start off with the points and and you you bring up what you say. You we want to talk about your feelings first. Um, unbiased well, first opinions of all, only. My first first takeaway from this game is I'm extremely proud to call myself a Liverpool fan and proud of the the way that the nine guys on the field or ten guys when they were when it was ten battled against. I mean, either blatant corruption or the <laughs> sheer incompetence. You take your pick. Whichever one, either way, it's totally unacceptable. I don't like to call for people's jobs, but if Darren England is a VAR on the pitch this weekend, the PJMOL is a fucking disgrace. Um, just to fill anybody in that didn't somehow <laughs> see this robbery that occurred on on the on Sun Saturday, excuse me. Luis Diaz scores in the thirty-first minute of the game. It gets. The, the, the referee, the fourth official, excuse me, puts his, his flag up for offsides. It goes to VAR review, and they, they, the guy, the VAR official, Darren England, says, call confirmed because this Moopington 5000 doesn't realize that it was an offsides and thinks that, the, that it was a goal. So he thinks he's confirming a goal. So then the call stands, meaning – it was offsides, but he's not all, he's not offsides. He's he's on by by more than a stride and a half. Mm-hmm. Goes in and scores. Not to mention there was a red card just a few minutes earlier. So it just killed all momentum that Liverpool got. You know, they're already down a man. They 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 scored. They have this huge moment. I mean, Mulligan's, by the way, on Saturday was electric. One of the best yeah. best times I've ever been there. So much fun, so heated, so passionate. And it, the game was completely ruined by by the officiating. I mean, it's it's not really even a debate. Um, Tottenham scores their first goal maybe a minute or two after um, all this nonsense goes on. Curtis Jones got a red card. And this is my second beef with the VAR official. I think it's a red. 
I think it's very similar to the uh, Casemiro tackle mm-hmm. on Carlos Alcaraz that he got sent off for last year at Southampton. Yep. However, the when when the ball hit Simon Hooper, by the way, apparently you have to be a fat, ugly, and bald to be a, a referee in the Premier League. That's the There's rule. A few of Simon them. Hooper fits that to a T. Yep. He walks over to the monitor, and instead of just playing the clip in in you know full speed, he the VAR official starts off by showing a still after Curtis Jones has won the ball, his follow through hits Basuma and looks like a leg breaker. That's the still. That's the first shot and first image that he sees. And shockingly, he reaches the decision that it's a red card. <laughs> and again, listen, you want to say it's a red card? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be incredibly biased and say it's not a red. You can call it that, fine. Oliver Skip did the exact same challenge because Tottenham fans love bringing up last season when uh, when Jota scored that winner and how he shouldn't have been on the pitch. Oliver Skip should have been on the fucking pitch in that game. Same exact tackle on Diaz. Not even a foul in that game. But go ahead, you whiny little bitch Spurs fan. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. I never, by the way, this guy, this guy at Mulligans almost ate a right cross. He was so stupid. No concept of how the rules actually work. Just blindly supporting Spurs. I mean, so tiring. Uh, he, this guy got old fast. But um, speaking of old... Lost a lot of respect for Ange Postacoglu. Opened his fat fucking Australian mouth after this one. <laughs> Holy moly! Yeah, dude, I get it. The national animal of of Australia is a kangaroo, but you don't need a pouch on your stomach. Eat another fucking donut, you pig. <laughs> hit the hit the gym, hit the gym. He's going on. Oh, we need to understand that there are errors in this game. That happens. Was he saying that last week when Christian Romero got called for a handball? Hell no, he wasn't. So spare me the bullshit, Ange. Just because he says a mate at the end of every interview, everybody else is jerking him off. Off with him. Off with him. <laughs> now, yeah. let me go to my next point. Yep. yep. Diogo yep. Jata. Second yellow card. Totally a yellow. Stupid. All day. He, he deserves to get a yellow card for that. However, the first yellow card, he makes no contact with Udogi. None. Udogi throws himself on the pitch, then turns around and puts his hand up calling for brandishing uh, a fake yellow card. By the way, that's supposed to be a yellow. Should have been his second yellow. He should have been off the pitch. 100% should have been off the pitch. Liverpool actually would have won this game with 10 players. I firmly believe that. If the, if the refereeing wasn't either incompetent or corrupt, whichever one, take your pick. I think it's incompetence. Um, Liverpool win this game. They just do. They were the better team with 10 men for 70 minutes or whatever it was until Jata decided he was going to be an idiot and get sent off on his own. Um, and, and my last point before I let this one go is you, ha- you being the PGMOL, have to have consistency and transparency in your calls going forward. There is no reason that offsides should be, get, should be gotten wrong, especially mm-hmm. one that clear. It was seen in, in, by the naked eye, you could tell he was onside. Before they didn't even draw the lines, they didn't even take 10 seconds to work it out. Over communicate, don't under communicate and assume that what you see, what the referee sees and the VAR guy sees is the same thing. That's number one. Number two, let's hear the audio, let's hear the conversations. That's not that's not an unrealistic thing to ask for. It's done in Ligue 1, mm-hmm. and there's also an automated system in both Ligue 1 and in uh in Syria to determine if it's offside. There's not even put, there's no even opportunity for human error. So uh, uh, PGMOL can take their apology and, t- and stick it you know where. I, uh, I'm disgusted by the result of this game. 
maybe the most undeserved three points in the history of the Premier League. Spurs got outplayed by nine men, and they score an own goal. I feel bad for Joel Matip, but, um, I mean, James Madison, too. But Sorry, this is actually the last thing. Throwing himself on the ground, in the box, calling for a penalty. You're up two men, dude. Show some fucking respect for the game. It's literally just a lack of respect. You're diving, calling for a penalty. You're up two men. You're getting every call in the game, and you're looking for a penalty. Put some more fucking hell j- hair gel in your hair. Prick. Well, Kyle, I got one. I got one question for you, Kyle. How do you want your eggs over easy or scrambled? Because we have a hot stove right on top of Sean's forehead that we could cook a couple off of right now, bro. This is incredible. This is wild. Sean, man, I'm not going to belittle anything you said because you nailed everything, dude. You nailed everything. I do want to point out two things I'd say, and that's that's pretty much it. You took four of my five major points. And this was this was absolutely insane. But the first one is the Diego Jota. I agree with you. The first one is not a yellow card. But what I will say to you that he was probably due an early yellow card regardless. The guy came on, played 24 minutes, had the most fouls on the pitch. He came on, all he did was foul. He lost the ball and he fouled. That being said, the first yellow card that he received, one could argue it was for accumulation. But again, like you said, he didn't touch him. His knee clipped the, the trailing leg of the doggy. You had an entire defensive back line there to stop Udagi getting through. No way in my mind does that stop a counterattack. Does that stop a goal-scoring opportunity? Not a yellow card. Like you said, you got to be better. You got to have a smarter head on your shoulders for that second yellow card, Jada. You just you just have to. Yep. The, the last thing that you didn't mention that I'll bring up is one that will get you heated as well, is the Mo Salah breakaway on the right side. A great, I believe it was a great punt from Allison, who has great ball distribution. I know the whole entire time you were at Mulligans, you were probably calling for the best goalkeeper in the world who was snubbed on that nomination this year, but puts it on a dime to let Mo Salah open up his legs, who does an incredible first touch to put it out in front of him. Beats Udagi down the side. Personally, I think Udagi had a fantastic game. I think he definitely was a little bit chip, chippy and the second yellow card. You're, you're correct on the warranting of that. But actually, was it Basuma? It was Basuma, it was Basuma. on this. It was Basuma on this case. Mosala beats him down the line, gets to the baseline. Busama, uh, Basuma does a good job of getting the ball back for Mosala, but loses it in a turn that Mosala does nothing but win the ball back in. He gets a call on a foul, gets a yellow card for dissent on Simon Hooper, and I, to me, that is another opportunity that the the below at this point, I still think there was. Uh, nine men 10 men on the pitch for you so a, a, a one less man Liverpool was still outperforming Spurs and this was a key moment that I think should have been continued because there was only two Spurs players in the box at the time one being Basuma who is now on the ground Mo Salah and Liverpool's on a quick counter massive massive error in my opinion in the open play just because you know the ball was bouncing every which way for Spurs so that's one thing I will say that that you miss. But other than that, man, I don't think we need to rehatch anything you did say with such passion and vigor. I love it. It was fantastic, but it is what it is. We all kind of have this, a similar thing happened to Arsenal last year where the PGMOL ignored lines on the pitch for an offsides call that ended in a Brentford Arsenal tie. Obviously there's these things that are going to happen, but I think Jorgen Klopp said it the best. He said, no one expects to get it right hundred percent, but this one is 
this one's factual. The offsides is so blatant that Liverpool has actually come out with a statement and has requested the audio of what the communication was between the main ref and VAR. So I would be very interested to see what the PGMOL does, whether they do release that as they should, because they've owned up to it already. They can give that unless they are completely hiding something. They should be releasing that. Kyle, right. oh, yeah, go ahead, Sean. No, I was just going to say, I, I I think you're you're spot on there. The, the integrity of the game is in question from this specific game. Yeah. The only way to reestablish any sort of trust from the fans of the Premier League, who are the only people that actually matter at the, at the end of the day, in terms of if your league just pisses off everybody because you don't, you don't make the right calls, it's supposed to be the best league in the world and we have chumps officiating. I mean, it's, 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 you, you have to release that audio. And if you don't, then you need to start releasing the audio going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like you said, Liga Un does it. Uh, it was pretty cool. I saw a couple Instagram videos of that. It's a fun, for, even for it, including the fans into that aspect of the game, it's a fun experience for everybody. Even if it's not the greatest audio, it's still something that people can dive into. Kyle, before we pop into concerns moving forward for Liverpool and for the Spurs, because I have one for each, what's your take on this, bro? Uh, well, I mean, just going off what you guys said, the, the referees in charge of VAR and whatnot, they were benched for the rest of the weekend for a good fucking reason, but that's right. they did, they did get taken off of all their, pre, their upcoming fixtures while this was under investigation and they did issue an apology straight to Liverpool after the game. And what, what I read, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was that Liverpool is exploring a range of options mm-hmm. as to how they're going to handle this, yep. which is the smartest thing you can do like hey shit happened it's it's very big it's quintessential it's it's monstrous so take your time right there's no there's no reason that liverpool needs to give an answer they were wronged and they have all the cards right now so yeah explore your options do what you got to do um yeah. i'll say to sean's point that that first red card man was it, it's a story of First impressions are the most important impressions. It's a story of first the media controls the media. The first goddamn picture that that referee saw was the freeze frame of, of the follow through. Of yeah. You don't even see you don't even see him yeah. win the ball, which he did. And again, it's a red, but you're influencing the decision. There's no question that any single person watches that and says, "Oh, I can't be a yellow. It's got to be a red. Look at his ankle," and it puts no context of what actually happened in the play there. But yeah, I mean, Disgusting. like you said, if, if you watch it in real time, it's after the challenge and his leg was turned. I'm, I'm just yeah, going to yeah. say it. It was yeah. not a 90 degree or 180 degree attack. His leg was turned. There was never a risk of him breaking his fucking leg. It was a gnarly challenge that was in between a yellow and a red up to the referee's discretion. But what he was shown, there was only one decision. It was yeah. nonsense. They, they need yeah. to handle that better. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is a little positive for Liverpool going forward. I mean, the one takeaway from this is that you know Joel Matip's shooting in FIFA is going up. <laughs> that shot was top corner, half volley, absolute gas. Fucking so, guy. I mean, I mean, take what you will, but we're going to a 30 to a 35 minimum. 
Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. He, it's such a shame. You got to feel for the guy. He's one of the longest standing players at Liverpool. Bleeds for Liverpool. Dies it's for Liverpool. It's impossible to hate Matt. It's, it's impossible. impossible to hate him. He came off of a relatively poor season last year. He had a good game. He had a good game. You know, especially with nine men. And again, for that, those who are not savvy with with soccer, it's eleven men on the field, and one of those guys includes the goalie. So automatically. There are only eight field players for Liverpool for a good portion of this game. Eight field players for a full pitch game is absolutely insane. I play 7v7 on half of like a half of a field. So this is insane. And Liverpool really showed a lot of guts and a lot of prowess to stay in it. And I I agree with you, Sean, that with 10 men, I think Liverpool wins this game 2-1-3-1 even. Now, with that being said, as a Spurs hater or yeah, I'm going to say hater. It would be wrong if I didn't say hater. I think I gained you as a hater as well, Sean. Um, you you and, the person and, who described him as the shitty, shitty Spurs 10 minutes ago? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm a hater. I'm a hater. It's more of love for Arsenal. But <laughs> if, if you're a Spurs fan, I would say that this celebration that you guys are doing needs to be extremely shortly lived or not celebrated at all. Looking back at your last three games, you have had strokes of luck. Now, granted, this is coming from an Arsenal fan who did also have strokes of luck last season, but you have had strokes of luck that won you each and every single point on the last three games, right? So their first win three games ago against Sheffield United was a classic lucky Spurs where they scored two goals in the last four minutes of stoppage time where if Sheffield United had any brains in their head every time they're just doing the Luton game and hoofing the ball down the pitch. Instead, on that second goal... They decide to try to build out from the back, lose the ball in their own final third, and here I end it to Spurs. They do a very good counterattack high up the field, and it's a, a nice possession play to a goal. But that's that's a lucky win for you guys there. The last game against Arsenal, and I wasn't here to defend it, was also a very lucky win. Not normally my take on it, but secret agent Chelsea spy Jorginho loses the ball smack dab in the pitch. Again, all you have to do is kick that away and do absolutely anything except for what you just did. And, and he cost us the game, a tie, but still a point, a lucky point for Spurs. And then of course, hey this game. Wait, hold on. Hold, hey, Kyle. He's world-class. I'm going to get it. Oh. Don't you remember? Oh. I said, I'm not this a fan. conversation last year. I said it. James I said, called yeah. the fourth best, maybe the fourth best midfielder at Arsenal world-class. You remember that conversation? Oh, I remember it well. Okay, I said I'm not a fan of five. what I said. I I said before I said it. Don't don't twist agent. this. This is not the PGMO uh, OL. Don't twist my words here, bro. They I said I'm not a fan of this, but I said it because it's what people are saying. But I'm still a fan of Jorginho. The the team came out and supported Jorginho Arteta, who is the most class act of a coach in the Premier League. Comes out says we're behind Georgie because we love him. So. Of course, my point to made here is if you're so, a Spurs fan, most classy, most handsome, just yeah. all around the best manager in the world. Yeah, you didn't know that my firstborn child's name is going to be Mikel. I thought I told you all this already. It's quite, mm. it's quite shocking to me. Well, but- in 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 other news, the one thing I did want to say though, I think that the you know all bullshit aside on Spurs Liverpool, I think Son is in the best form of anyone in the Premier League. Once again, yep. he's just performing and impressing every single time I watch him. So every dangerous time. in this game. 
so yeah. dangerous in this game. Every time he was on the ball, I was I my cheeks started clenching up. And then when he, when he got subbed off, he I don't know how serious the injuries, but when he got subbed off, I was like, "Oh, we're, we got this. We're going to win this game." Wasn't that like at the 90th minute or some shit like no, that? No, no, it was like in the 70s, something in the 70s, I think. Yeah. And what that about- was before yeah, and that was before Jota gets sent, sent off, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong about that, and I thought Nuñez was going to come on. We know what he likes to do against 10 men, yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. You're still it's still a massive concern though, because you have Sun, you have Madison, you have Basuma, but here's a scary thing if you're a Spurs fan. And, and you have Richarlison. Yeah, yeah. That's a Don't scary thing. About Richarlison. That's good for it, every other yeah, team. Yeah, it, it is. The pigeon. In order, from my opinion, best to worst players, Manor Solomon, Hoyberg, Emerson Royal, Oliver Skip, Ben Davies, Alio Villez. I've never even heard of that guy before. Ashley Phillips, Jamie. Donnelly and Fraser Foster were your bench for this game. That is terrifying if you're a Spurs fan because other than Solomon and maybe Hoiberg, who has played a played at Spurs for a while, that's some shit. You do have some injuries, obviously, with uh, Brennan Johnson just going down now, but that's terrifying if you're a Spurs fan. You're one son injury away, which possibly you know him and Madison were iffy for this game. You guys aren't celebrating anything yet because last year you won your first, you didn't lose in your first seven games either. And then you shot the bet and look at where you, you did. So as, as a Spurs fan, as a Spurs hater, I will say that your celebration should be on the chopping block, my friends, but we'll put a chop to the end of this rant and this conversation and take a short break here. We'll let Sean, you know, kind of decompress a little bit. I think I see a nice soothing uh, sand box over there that you can rake for a few minutes and then we'll come back and, We'll get into the the look ahead because we got more exciting games coming up this weekend. So we'll be right back. Okay, I think we're all now settled and ready to dive into the next week's games. We obviously have, I think, the marquee matchup of the first half of the season so far, especially since everything panned out as predicted. But we're going to start off with kind of the same team we were just talking about, the Brighton versus Liverpool at Amex Stadium, which is home to Brighton, and kind of how these two teams have come off of some pretty painful losses, one more painful than the other for our near and dear Sean. But, you know, of course, Brighton getting absolutely spanked by Aston Villa, we talked about before, and then obviously the heartbreak that Liverpool has just experienced, who will now be without Curtis Jones and Diego Jata. So, Sean, why don't you take us through this, kind of get your feeling for this game and, and how you need to rebound. So this is definitely a game that last year or, or matchup last year that Liverpool struggled with. Um, you know, you look at the loss in the FA Cup where Matoma scored that beautiful goal and embarrassed Joe Gomez. They whipped Liverpool in this fixture at the Amex. Um, but I think this is a very different Liverpool team. Um, the midfield with, with McAllister and Soboslai have, has a lot more legs than it did. Um, so I think uh, as long as Liverpool can stay disciplined, because I think they're going to be furious about the result last week, I think they're going to come out with with three points in this game. Um, Brighton obviously cannot be underestimated. They're always you know dangerous. They can absolutely beat any of the best teams. I just think Liverpool has too much quality and is in better form right now. Um, plus has has some some vengeance to enact as well. So I'm going to take Liverpool in this game, but certainly. Two teams, as you mentioned, coming off very, very painful losses for different reasons and uh, should be a good one. That one's 9 a.m. on Sunday, but 
let's talk about the real the real the real reason that we even started this podcast to talk Arsenal Man City. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, a fun man. one. Uh, you think it's a fun one? Yeah, I mean, I mean, regardless, dude, it's a fun one. It, it, you, I mean, it's the same thing that happens in El Clasico. Whether or not you yeah. enjoy the teams, it's fun. As long as it's not another Community Shield game, which was pretty painful to watch, which won't happen, obviously. The Community that's a Shield is like game. the freaking Carabao Cup. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, this. I think, Sean, you, you put your note here, man. This is show up or shut up for Arsenal. It, it really is the golden goose of opportunity for this team who is one of two undefeated, and you have to put an asterisk next to that because obviously Tottenham Hotspurs is the only other team that's undefeated currently in the Premier League going up against the defending champ and a, a partially wounded defending champ. We talked about it already. But they're without Rodri, which immediate impact right in the center of the pitch for him against Wolves. It was clearly shown. They're without Kevin De Bruyne. They're without Gundogan, who was a heavy, heavy influencer on those games. And Even, Silva. Bar and Silva. Silva, too. Yeah. And Mares. And Mares. I mean, this is a completely different squad. And this is the perfect opportunity for, a, for an Arsenal that's hungry to reenact vengeance. And every time last season where we had an opportunity – to get back at a team that we dropped the ball against last year. Perfect examples, Newcastle, we didn't lose to them last year once, and they were pretty much the reason why we did not get into top four the previous season. It, we have been able to show up, and we have broken the curse of having beaten Man City in 13 matches in all comps with the win in the Community Shield. We still have not been able to do that, I think, what, in 13 Premier League games? Mm-hmm. In Premier League games, which is not a great number, and then I'll show, I'll throw one more not awesome oh, it's number an out awful there. Number, not a great number. Six and a half years. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know what's even crazier? I have not had to scroll down on my phone so many times than I did today coming home from work, looking for the last time that Man City lost three games in a row. <laughs> the last time they lost three games in a row was in April of 2018. And Sean, you'll like this one. Two of those three losses came from Liverpool in the Champions League quarterfinals. Wait, quick math. So, quick math. That's five and a half years? Yeah, two Almost brings six 23, brings us three. It's it's five. It's like five and a half years. Yeah. And um, it's, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. But this is a great opportunity. As long as Arsenal have some surprise health, benefits throughout the week we obviously both have major games midweek tomorrow arsenal play len uh in for the champions league but that's not as a strong side as rb leipzig that man city have so we might have a little bit of a benefit there as well but if arsenal puts out their starting strong 11 with declan rice in the back i know parties in training he's not going to get start but maybe he gets some minutes we have um i think we go havertz and we go Udegaard. I just think that that three is going to put up a very good fight against a lacking central presence of Man City's roster right now without Rodri or Kevin De Bruyne. And then obviously outside on the wing, it's a massive loss that I don't know if we'll have Trossard or Martinelli back on the left. We really do need both of our options out wide. Saka is, is still star boy. It seems like he picks up a knock after every game, and yet he's still bouncing around the next game ready to go. And then Jesus who looks really, really good as well up top. I mean, we're in some solid form right now, undefeated in the last, I think, nine all comps. 
So we're, we're looking pretty solid right now, and I'm excited for this game. But the last time I was excited about it, we fucking fell right on our faces. But I'm, I'm more optimistic about this one because of the, the advantages we have against Man City right now, I think, in the central of the park without Rodri. Yeah, I, I think this comes down to, at least in Pep's head, what's more important, the Premier League or the Champions League? Because you cannot, if, if you care about the Premier League more, you cannot go out there with your 11 strongest guys against RB Leipzig. You cannot risk injuries with that many hurt players right now. I mean, fortunately, yeah. it's group stages. You can afford a loss with the current brackets. I still think Man City can lose and be fine to get through group stages. But as you mentioned, what it comes down to is that if you look at the lineup Pep put out against Arsenal in the first fixture last year at the Emirates, five of the six starting attackers are gone. Five. I mean, that's Rodri, Gundogan, Mares, Bernardo Silva, and Kevin De Bruyne. All of those are starters. So we're going to be going out with a team that, whether it's going to help us or not, but Mikel Arteta has not coached or seen whatever we're going to put out. Because out of everyone I just listed, Arteta's coached every one of them. So he knows yeah. the players. He knows their style. It's it's going to be a very different lineup. It's going to be strange. It's I think Man City walks away with a tie happily because, I mean, the biggest loss, it's the best midfielder in the world. Kevin De Bruyne is out. He was so big for the last matchup. He had the first goal. He set the, he set the tone for the game last time and then had an assist. So you take him even out of that game, we don't win. And if yeah. if you're going to try to convince me that Man City has gotten stronger by losing all those players, I mean, I'm not even going to talk injuries this season, but like Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, Mares, that was our center. Not not our center. I mean, we're talking wingers, but that was their the center of yeah. attack. You know what I mean? Like the three of those, you had to mark. You had to cover them. Even the, even the full field cross, which gives you four seconds of ball in air time to get your footing, they're ready. You know what I mean? So... I think this is going to be I – I think Manchester City walks away happily with any type of points on this one. This is not – it's going to be their hardest fixture in the last year, I think. Maybe Inter Milan in the Champions League finals, but this is going to be the toughest they have. What do you got, Sean? What do you think as as you're not part of the, the, the one of the parties really at risk right, here? Right, for once. Um, no, I think Kyle – I would agree with Kyle. I actually think this is a much tougher fixture than the Champions League final. Obviously, the magnitude of that game is different, but um, this is a Man City side, as Kyle also made a great point about, that has a lot of turnover. Um, Doku on the left wing, who we think highly of, but really the key, and, and we taught, we just touched on it, is in midfield. Um, Mateo Kovacic, Matias Nunez, new signings. This is their opportunity to show what they got. Um, I think Kyle, again... I, I'm so sorry to steal all your talking points because you just you hit it on the head, though. Um, this is a game that that City can't lose. Um, you can't, you have to beat Man City to win the title. So if Arsenal mm -hmm. wants to win the title this year, they have to win this game. I, I, I hate to sound so dramatic you know, when there's 30 games to go, but as someone who's been in three different title races with Man City, you have to beat them head-to-head. -head. And your best opportunity to do it is right now, on your home turf. Um, so I think the big, the biggest thing in this game is just making sure that, um, you know, they stay composed arsenal. They also really need to find somebody either Martinelli or Trossard. If they're, if they're not fit, that's really going to be tough because I feel yeah. like then city will, will focus their attention more on that right side and kind of double up on Saka. 
Um, because whether it's Jesus or whether it's Nick Ketia, they're just not natural left wingers. It's just very apparent. No. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, what if, you're right. I mean, sorry, I just. And this is a guy who I used to rate, or I do rate really highly, and I'm just curious from your perspective. You obviously have more insight as an Arsenal fan. What about Emil Smith-Rowe in this game? What happened to him? I feel like he really hasn't been a part of the first team for almost two years. It's it's, it's a problem because, well, first of all, we gave him the number 10 a couple seasons ago because he really was – it was Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe. That was our bread and butter. They're from, uh, the, from our academy. And I'm a big ESR fan, huge ESR fan. I think he's one of the brightest, youngest talents in the Premier League still. But he was troubled with a lot of injuries. He actually got surgery. I believe it was on his hamstring um, last season, in the beginning of the season, that he never fully recovered. And then, unfortunately, his opportunity to, to get playing time has been kind of mulled down because of how well uh, Fabio Vieira has been playing. It's essentially in the position that ESR would be in if Havertz didn't start and Fabio Vieira wasn't good. You can definitely play uh, ESR on the wing, but you can also play Reese Nelson on the wing. So if I'm going straight up for a winger over there, I'd put Reese Nelson. If I'm going straight up for a number eight, um, I'm going ESR. Uh, he had a great opportunity to, to put a ball away against Bournemouth this weekend, and he, he missed just narrowly wide. It was a great save by the keeper. But ESR, he just hasn't found his his footing again quite yet. I think he's great. I think with the cups and the, all the midweek games that we're going to have, he's going to find it, and he needs the time because he's a talent that I would be devastated if we lost due to lack of playing time. But I just don't think this is the game to introduce him. Yeah, I also do want to say that City is fighting for Francis Lee. I mean, for those who don't know, Francis Lee died today. He's a city mm. legend, so they are thinking about that. This is a guy that played in the 60s and 70s. He was top goal scorer once. He won the FA Cup. He's won the Super Cup three times, two-time English champion. He was a Manchester City legend, and he passed away today. So that will be in the back of their minds, I'm sure of it. You got to win this weekend for Francis. So I, that's going to play a part. For sure, I think they'll they'll play for him midweek, and then at that point we'll be we'll be fine. Now, Francis Lee was very adamant that his second favorite team was Leipzig, so they're purposely not trying very hard to beat Leipzig. It's all about Arsenal, his hated team. Oh, of course, of mm -hmm. course, naturally. It's kind of funny, Sean. I thought you were going to bring up instead of ESR. I thought you were going to bring up uh, the other Egyptian god, and that would be uh, Eleni. He, he did make a cameo appearance in there, and he has some relatively good central presence on defensive-minded. So we do have, you know, I'm a little concerned with Declan Rice's potential injury, and then obviously Thomas Party um, just coming back. I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Mo as a bring-on-the-Milner situation uh, in this game if we somehow go up. But very good points. I'm excited for the game. Sean, what do you think the final result is going to be? Man, that's a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to take Arsenal to win this game 2-1. I don't know why. I, I think it's just the injuries that, that City are dealing with. I think, like I said, it's it's now or never for Arsenal, and I think this is this is the, the time that they break the curse in the Prem. But if, yeah, if it's not that. now, then then I, I you're competing for second place because if they, if they beat you guys with a ragtag bunch, and listen – I think we're being a little bit too disrespectful to say they still have tons of quality players. They have the best striker in the world. Alvarez is a stud. Nunez and Kovacic are good. They have you know great defense, but um, 
there's there's not a lot of guys that they can also put on and change the game. And I guess you could probably say the same for Arsenal now with some of their attacking injuries. Um, I think just home field advantage, I, I'm going to lean Arsenal and, and give them the three points in this one. Yep. I'll be listening to that on repeat tonight, but, but go ahead. <laughs> Kyle, yeah. Kyle, go to you. Come on. I mean, I would say optimistically City wins one nothing. Realistically, they tie 1-1. It would be real unfortunate if they lost 2-1. to I, I do see City scoring one goal, but maybe not more than one. And, you know, City's defense has been good as of late. Unfortunately, against Spurs, the own goal killed, or Wolves, the own goal killed us. But re- realistically, the only way we win is if we stop Arsenal from getting in the back of the net completely. Like, even one goal, I think, takes two points away from us right away. Yeah, I agree. But can you help us get some points in our bank accounts? I think we've talked about the Manchester City versus Arsenal game enough. Uh, I am going to lose my mind if I think about it anymore before the weekend. So, Kyle, I obviously am now one and one with locks of the week with Luton beating Everton this weekend. Sean, you're on the inverse of where you started out last year. You're 0-2, unfortunately, I believe. But Kyle, you have an opportunity here to become 2-0. Well, I mean, it's just off of a lot of good research. You know, it's just knowing the game. <laughs> but, uh, James, you don't got a prediction for this weekend? For this weekend, I, I'm I'm in line with you, Kyle. I see this game either a one nothing win, which is tough to see because I think both teams have at least one goal in them. I don't think either team has been shut out yet this game this season. Um, so I'm going 1-1 or 2-1 Arsenal. I like that. But um, as far as the lock of the week is concerned, I'm going to take Liverpool over Brighton at plus 120. And there's a bunch of factors that go into this, including, you know, Brighton with the FA Cup, or not the FA Cup, I'm sorry, Carabao Cup with Champions League and Premier League. They are playing a lot of games, and it's showing. Europa. Europa, Europa I'm sorry. Right. And then you have, I mean, Brighton just proved that they can cave. They are losing faith once they start going down by significant amounts. Like, I don't know if you watch the game, but once they went down by three, there was never a chance. Even with their equalizer, there was never a chance. They didn't look it. And then you have yeah. you have Liverpool coming out with, I mean, it's unfortunate for Liverpool between Gakpo being out, between Jota being out. But I, I personally think this helps Liverpool. I think Diaz, Nunez, Salah as the front line is the best front line they can put out. And I think it's going to be devastating seeing them all in the field for at least 70 minutes together. They're going to score goals, period. Doesn't matter if you're home or away, they're gonna score goals. So this comes down to the fact that Brighton could only score one against Aston Villa. And if you ask me which defense is better, it's Liverpool, flat out. So if they can score one, maybe two, maybe two because they're at home. I still think Liverpool puts three in the back of the net with eleven guys. They they should have put three in the back with nine. You know, like yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's plus odds, guys. It's plus one twenty. Do your thing. I think this is gonna be a a fun Liverpool weekend. Yeah, the, the only thing that I would say to Sean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, last season, unfortunately for Liverpool, when they took a, a setback or a stumble or lost a game, it it didn't take them as quick as previous seasons to snap back from something like that. Last year, they would come back with a tie or another loss before they got their next win, typically. Um, so I wonder if that's something that Liverpool can, can prove that they can avoid this season and snap back quicker. Yeah, but you also got to remember the, the atmosphere of that locker room is not that they took a loss. It's that they were straight robbed. Yeah. You know, it's not sadness, it's anger. They're they're coming yeah. back feisty. But yeah, I, yeah. I do also want to mention that 
Chelsea plays Burnley this weekend. Look for Chelsea to win. It's not my lock, but they scored twice in 89 seconds this weekend, which is more goals than they scored all of last month. <laughs> all of it. So, you know, if they're finding the back of the net, they should beat Burnley. But, I mean, those odds are terrible. Guys, Liverpool plus 120. Market, it's going to hit 100%. Beautiful. Well, Sean, you got anything before we do our beautiful send-off? I think we're good, man. Let's hear that voice. That's it. For the first time <laughs> in a few weeks, this is your host and uh, MC James signing off for the two most handsomest boys in the entire world, Kyle and Sean. And we're ready to get into this weekend's games and come right back next week with our hot takes. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure you give us that like on Instagram, Twitter. Rate us on uh, whatever podcasting platform you listen to. Give us those feedbacks, some great interactions this week with Sean's posts on uh, best transfers and what you want to hear this weekend. So please keep them coming. We love everybody who listens and we appreciate you. Appreciate you. So thank you guys until next week. Enjoy the weekend.